So we love to celebrate, right? We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate holidays. Especially in Boston, we love to celebrate victory. And we got something to celebrate, let's be honest, when we look at our banners and our championships and not lie to each other. We love to celebrate. But the thing we were made to celebrate the most was God. It is God. It's Jesus. Jesus should be celebrated more than any other thing in our life. And we celebrate because Jesus has given us victory in our life. You act different when you're winning. You act different when you just got a victory. Anyone see um, Kentucky celebrate last night? They were relaxed. They were laughing. They were hugging. They were cheering because they just got a victory. When I went to the garden, we got to go watch um, the 76ers play. See, why I wanted to go watch the 76ers play is because I thought the Celtics had a chance of beating the 76ers. I didn't want to watch them play Golden State. Because last time I took my daughter to the Celtics game, they lost. So I felt happy she was at the Celtics game, but I, I felt bad I brought her to a losing game. So I said, we got a shot with the Sixers. We get there. It was awesome because one of my fellow pastors, actually Matt Cruz's son, was playing on the court. And they, they, they dominated the other team. They're from Melrose. They, no lie, they hit four in a row from NBA range, three-pointers. So we're going crazy up in the... The bleeders, right? So we're celebrating that victory. He hit, he dropped down an NBA three. Then the Celtics start, and they were killing the 76ers. I'm yelling out, Luigi! If you haven't watched the Celtics, you don't know fan favorite Luigi. I'm yelling. Talia's excited. We're just having a good time. It's more relaxing when you got that dominant win, right? Everyone sit back. Matt Cruz's daughter had a popcorn bucket on her head. She was that relaxed. Like, you act differently when you're living in the victory. Now, in our spiritual life, there's some theology out there that would have us living defeated a lot. So when the gospel is wrongly based on our works, you always feel defeated. Right? Because if it's based on something that goes up and down, to and fro, if I feel good, if I feel bad, <clears throat> you're going to feel defeated a lot. If it was based on if you were sinless, there'd be a lot. There'd be nothing to cheer for. Am I speaking truth? But if it's based on the victory of Jesus that it's finished, all of a sudden, our life becomes a celebration. That we can celebrate not only when it's 96 and sunny out and everyone's telling us they love, of us, love us and thankful for every little thing we do, we're not only feeling good when everything's going right in our minds, but we're feeling good even when they're suffering. So I intentionally, when the winter came this year, I said, this winter ain't getting me. There's no way snowflakes are going to mess up my life. You can even celebrate during bad seasons of your life. You have to intentionally say that. Because guess what? They're coming no matter what. They're coming no matter what. You will suffer. You will go seasons. But if you li listen... um. If you live in the victory of Jesus, like Paul says, you can learn to be content. He was in prison. And he's writing letters, give thanks to God. Stone twice, down for the count. They left him for dead. Rejoice that you can follow Jesus. You see what's going on there? 
Paul's realizing the most important thing has happened to him. He's been awakened to the truth of the gospel and he can celebrate Jesus. Therefore, anything that life brings, I can still celebrate like I just won the championship. You guys hear what I'm preaching? This is the mentality of a Christian. This is why you can make it through things in your life and still rejoice in your Savior. So if you could just read with me up here, John 12, 12 through 15. It says, the next day a large crowd that had come to feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches off the palm trees and went out to meet him, <coughs> crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So let's start here. When's the last time you were around a crowd that really gathered to celebrate? Did anyone go to the Patriots parade? I didn't get to go to the Patriots parade. But I can only imagine the excitement was tangible. People were there to celebrate victory, right? They had the Patriots signs. And they should have. It was a long season. After the third game, everyone said Tom Brady should retire. That's how we roll, right? It ain't right. Third game, brother had a bad game. Let him go. We got all these Super Bowls. Throw him out with the garbage. We go through that. Then all of a sudden, we make a nice run. We're getting stronger. Belichick's doing his thing. We get in the playoffs. The footballs didn't have enough air in them. Father, forgive us. So now we got to deal with the footballs don't have enough. So we might even win the championship, but you didn't really win the championship. That's how they roll. Haters roll like that. Do you hear me? So then all of a sudden we get in that game. And I'm being honest with you. I watch the Celtics. I watch every game. But I watch uh, like the Red Sox. I watch them in the playoff. Baseball gets boring, man. I'll go out there. Give me a glove. I'll throw it to you. But it gets, it's hard to watch during the season. I watch anything when it's playoffs and down to the wire. And if I go to Fenway Park, it's always good to take in a game. But I don't watch the Red Sox as much, even though I love them. I don't watch the Patriots unless it's a big game. When they play in Denver, I watch the chair against Dave and Sarah. And I watch in the playoffs. That's what happens to me. Like when everything's on the wire, that's when I watch the Patriots. So my whole family's watching a football game. We don't wa usually watch football games. I'm talking Kira's involved, Talia's involved. Everyone's serious. We think we're going to win, and then that stupid catch happens. And I'm remembering the catch when the dude had it on his helmet, you know? And I'm like, here we go. One yard line, second down. I believe it was a third down. We're done. They're going to run it in. Then the Seattle Seahawks, by the grace of God, made the worst call in the history of the Super Bowl. Right? And we're sitting there, and when it happened, I, I couldn't sit. I was just walking around the kitchen. We jumped up, Kira's chair, and Talia's chair, and we're screaming. I could not believe it when the butler made the pick in the end zone. We went crazy. There was something to celebrate. So that's the tone that that crowd was feeling. You know, you see Gronk celebrating. He needs to stop it with that dancing. But there was so much celebration going on. That crowd had gathered to celebrate. Now, so far above sports, so much greater than Tom Brady and Bill Belichick could ever be, those people were gathered to rejoice in the Messiah that day. And you know how we all felt like we were part of the Patriots? <clears throat> like we felt we went through Deflategate. We felt like we went through that. I was on the construction site. It was getting really weird. Like, dudes are breaking out the text. Like, you see the rules? And I was like, this is getting too much. We felt like we went through Deflategate. So we felt connected to the Patriots. That's why we rejoiced. 
The crowd that gathered there today are people who have been healed by Jesus. Imagine you were a parent of someone and Jesus healed your child. Imagine you were crippled and Jesus caused you to walk. Imagine you were blind and now you saw because of Jesus. That's a different kind of excitement. Far above a pigskin, right? They're gathering, rejoicing in this Messiah who is preaching like no one they ever heard preach before. Preaching a kingdom like they never heard before. Ushering in the kingdom of God. This crowd was ready to rejoice. Everyone know why they had palm branches? Palm branches are an emblem of victory all through the Bible. So you know how people would bring signs down to your game like we're the champions and wave them? When you waved a palm branch, you were saying, we're victorious. So everyone had palm branches in the hand because saying, we're victorious because Jesus is here. And they were laying down their garments. The crowd was going wild. And I want you to hear the scripture so you understand the palm branches because they used them in the feasts. I just want us to know why we call it Palm Sunday. I bet 90% of Christians be like, it's Palm Sunday. I don't know. They bring palms. But palms were a sign of the feast. And this is one of the greatest things you'll see with palms. In Revelation 7, <clears throat> verse 9 and 10, it's given us a scene of when Jesus has returned and all the nations and all the tribes and all the peoples have been brought together and he is the king of this kingdom. And it's a beautiful scene. It said, after this I looked <clears throat> and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See that scene when Christ returns, everyone's holding victorious emblems? That's what ha what's happening that day. Jesus is entering in Jerusalem. The Messiah is coming. They have their palm branches. And this is a, probably one of the most routed crowds in history. They're ready to throw down. They're ready to worship. And what are they crying out? They're crying out Hosanna. Now, when I found out what Hosanna meant, that changed a lot of stuff in me. So when I was singing that song, I have the benefit of preparing. So I knew what Hosanna meant, so I was singing it out a little louder. Hosanna, only other time you see it is Psalm 118.25. It's only other time you see that word used in Hebrew and Greek and English. It's save us, I pray, O Lord. Save us. It's David writing, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, save us in a place of desperation. So this is like you're out on the boat in the middle of the ocean, you can't swim, and someone pushes you into the ocean. You're crying out, save me. That's what Hosanna originally meant in the Psalms. But what it began to mean, it changed in the original language. It began... It went from, save me, I'm drowning, to I have been saved from drowning. Do you guys hear me? So it went from meaning, save me, to salvation, salvation, salvation has come. Salvation is here. So you guys get to hear some of my stories. If you're going to be with me for the next 40 years, you're going to hear some stories over. I hope I tell them better out of detail that makes it lively. But this is my Palm Sunday story. We're going to a palm, we're going to a lake. I come from 11 aunts and uncles in the projects. There's no plan when you go to the beach. You understand me? You wake up, it's beach day. You don't know what car you're going in. It doesn't have heat. 
there's half a sandwich packed, and you just pick a car. There's three cars out there. Every wheel's almost falling off, and they're all rusty. You just run in a car. There's no supervision. We drive to this place. I still don't remember where it is. Once again, there's no supervision. So the doors start open. Children just start running. There's no supervision. And everyone's like, oh, we're at the beach. I just saw a dock. I'm probably five or six years old. I saw a dock. It looked so beautiful. It was so long. Everyone's having fun in this lake. Everyone's happy. I just, what do you do when you're a kid? You run randomly, right? Started running. Started running. And dove off this dock full of joy. I don't know if I figured out mid-jump or when I hit the water that I didn't know how to swim. When you're a kid, you just think, fun, let's do this. All of a sudden, I'm under the water. I can't swim. I can't get back to the top. This is it. Didn't have a good run. That's it. But I always open my eyes on the wall, so I'm looking at everyone. No one has any idea, and there's no supervision. So my family doesn't even know I'm under. I'm under there. And I don't know if bubbles came out. I don't know if I cried out, save me, but I need saving. All of a sudden, like Baywatch, I swear. I saw this lifeguard dive in with the orange buoy, and I'm looking through it. And I'm saying, there's hope. <laughs> I'm not going to die. And she just worked it, worked through, grabbed me, picked me up, threw me on the dock, and I went from save me to I'm saved. I was telling people on deck, I almost drowned, I'm saved. I was going down, you saved me. I was looking at a woman, you saved my life. Family had no idea. No idea. I was telling, they didn't even care. I almost drowned. Good, 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 go ahead. That's what happens with Hosanna. That's what we're crying out. We're not coming from a place that God saved me. We're coming from a place, God, you have saved me. Let's rejoice and let's celebrate that. I rejoiced that day because I realized how close I was to drowning. But Jesus has come to save us. So we don't have to drown in our life. So we don't have to feel overwhelmed because he carries our burdens. Because he's taken us away from the bondage of sin and death and made us his own child. He's adopted us. And that's something, that's something to celebrate. Now, this is a special kind of Messiah. This is a special kind of king. In a time when we have so many corrupted leaders, so many corrupted politicians, Jesus is the pure king. You guys hear me? The pure king. You don't have to worry about if he's corrupt. You don't have to worry if he has your best interest in mind. He always does. And they had been waiting for this Messiah. It had been prophesied since Genesis 3 that a Messiah would come and crush the head of Satan and sin and free his people. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies over a few thousand years about this Messiah who would come. That's why they're rejoicing when he arrives. Now what's amazing is, would you have rode in on a donkey? No. But we have a humble and a peaceful king who's ushering in a different kind of kingdom. I want you to see this first. If we can turn to Zechariah 9, 9 once again, I keep saying turn because I'm a, in religious habits. It's up there. It says, what happened is, this is a prophecy hundred years before. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. <coughs> Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
So we knew that the Messiah would come riding a donkey. And the prophecies even given the people of Israel a command, rejoice. So it's almost like they're responding and rejoicing and celebrating Jesus as he rides in and as he enters. Another scripture, just give you a few. There's a bunch, guys. We'd be here all day if we gave you all the messianic prophecies. But in Genesis 49, 8 and 2, I just want you guys to see how far it goes back. In the first book of the Bible, closer to the beginning of history, what's happened is Jacob is prophesying to his sons, each tribe. There's 12 tribes of Israel, and he's prophesying to his sons. And for those of you who don't know, you know how Jesus called the Lion of Judah? That's because he's come from the tribe of Judah. Judah was chosen especially that the Messiah would come through his tribe. So Jacob on his deathbed is prophesying to his son, and this is what he speaks over his son. He said, Judah, your brothers shall praise you because Jesus is coming through your line. Your hand shall not be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his fool to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So you see that even in Genesis, they're talking about the Messiah coming through Judah, and they're talking about how the donkey will be bound and all these kind of prophecies. It's important for you to know Jesus didn't steal a donkey. That just hit me in preparation this week. I'm thinking, Jesus, Messiah, he takes what donkey he wants. But I said, that would be wrong. He's just stealing donkeys. How do you like the Messiah's here? He's going to ride into town. He just steals your car. You would still feel that ain't right, Messiah. You know that? What happens is, Jesus chooses to ride a 1996 Toyota XL into town. So if you're down here for the Wakefield celebration during the year, there's some child in the nursery crying out Hosanna or something the whole time. I don't know what's going on. Celebrating or something. You go downtown, they have all these unbelievable antique cars. There's like 15 engines on them. The wheels are popped up. People rolling. Just dudes all year. You can tell they're like... All year they've been just milking this car. They drive through. Everyone's looking at them like, you see what I did. You know how Jesus would roll into town on the Wakefield Parade? In the car Natalie drove when I started dating her. I was mad at Joe Vec. This It wasn't even safe. It was like duct tape over stuff. She could barely fit in it, and she's 5'3". It was just beat up Toyota. I think Toyota Excel or something like that. It was just light blue beta. That's how Jesus would have came to the parade. He gets the donkey. Now I'm sitting down with my kids the other day and we're reading this story from the message. And I'm saying, why do you drive in? You know, why do you drive in? Why do you ride in on a donkey? I'm saying, because it's an animal of peace. They're like, yeah, yeah. I said, what if he rode in on a tiger? What kind of message does that send, right? What if he rolled in on an elephant? Everyone pay attention to the elephant and not to the Messiah on the elephant. He rolled in. Everything had purpose with everything Jesus did. Pastors and priests, when they rode into town, they rode in on a donkey. It was a sign to the people that they were a person of peace. And what Jesus was making a statement as he rode in on that donkey, he was saying, I'm a king of peace. 
My kingdom's totally different than your chariots and your domination. My kingdom is about laying my life down for my people. I'm a king who will establish eternal peace and I will reign forever. Totally different king. A special kind of king who's bringing in this kingdom. Now, how did he bring peace? So some people ask that because we're in a broken world, right? And you say, Jesus established a kingdom of peace. They'll be like, what are you talking about? People are dying. There's wars. There's terrorism. Let me explain this to you. First of all, the kingdom of God, and Jesus said this in Luke. We'll read this first. It's within. So Luke 17, 20, and 21, it says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is. Oh, there, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The Holy Spirit has been sent through the work of Jesus into us as temples of the Holy Spirit so that the kingdom of peace and the kingdom of God lives within. Do you guys hear me? That's in one way now. We have peace because we have Jesus. We're able to be peacemakers because of that. Secondly, there'll be a time when the kingdom won't only be within. When Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, he will establish a eternal kingdom of peace. Well, he will destroy everything that is evil. He will wipe away death. He will wipe away sin. He will punish Satan eternally. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more depression. There'll be no more anxiety. You won't have to lock your doors. Do you guys hear me? That's a different kind of peace. And he'll be the perfect king. Governing us perfectly. And the kingdom of God will be established forever upon his return. So in one way, he brought a kingdom of peace that is within. Now he's the king of peace. In another way, we hope in a future peace when he returns to establish his eternal kingdom. Peace only comes through the gospel. And I want to just give a little gospel call here. I think people need to hear this. Here's my second story. You're going to hear every Palm Sunday for the next 40 years. When I was two or three years old, I forget. I just wasn't good in water, I guess. We were at a lake or something. I don't remember where it is again. And I'm told the story by someone else, by a friend. And uh, I just sat underneath the water, over my head. Just sat there. I wasn't coming up for air. For some reason, I had no idea, as a little toddler, that I needed to come up above the water. This friend was looking at me, probably about 14 years older. I was about two or three. What's wrong with this kid? He's got to come up in a few seconds. Then he realized 30 seconds go by, 45 seconds. I'm not coming up for air. So he reached down. He lifted me up, and I just took a breath, thinking, what's wrong with this kid? Jesus, for many of us, has already done that. We were drowning. Maybe we knew we were losing air. Maybe we knew we were unsatisfied. We knew we were sinful. We knew we were discontent. Jesus looked down as we were drowning. He picked us up. He grabbed us, and he saved us. And that call is for everyone. Do you guys hear me? If you're someone who has not put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you are drowning in your sin, you are drowning in the consequences of a life lived in disobedience against God, you can put your faith in Jesus today. It says in Romans, If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. It's simple. It's grace. It's a gift. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, put your faith in Jesus 
today. Enjoy that victory. The gospel is about living in response to the fact that the victory's already been won. I want to give you a few examples. Do you know why we sing Hosanna? You know, because I told you. But we sing Hosanna because it's already finished. That's why we can celebrate. Every worship song we sing, not because we have to finish it, because Jesus has finished us for us. So even when we sing, it's in response to victory. You know why we love our neighbors, even the irritating neighbors? That we're called to love. You're called to love them. Love your neighbor and your enemy. You know why we can love them? Because Jesus first loved us. So he's already loved us as his enemies. We should be loving our enemy. I know that's tough, but that's what distinguishes us from the rest of those who reject Jesus, is that we're called to be peacemakers and to love our enemies and be kind to our neighbors, even when they're not kind to you. You're just like everyone else who doesn't know Jesus if you're nasty to your neighbor. The greatest commandment, one of the greatest commandments. We obey God because he has written his law on our heart in victory already. So God said, I'm not writing it on tablets of stone anymore. I'm going to write the law, my law, on people's hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit on their heart. So the law is written on their heart. That's why we can be victorious and obedient. You need to live in victory that you're already forgiven. Because many of us, and I need to say this over and over again, we try to earn our forgiveness. So we think we need to beat things to get better, and then we'll have victory. No. You are sanctified and walk in more holiness when you realize Jesus already had victory. Do you guys hear me? You need to understand the victory is won. You are loved. No one will ever take you out of the arms in the hands of God. And that's why you can obey. That's why you can love. And that's why you can live your life for the glory of God. Even today, Sunday is just a big celebration. As we take communion, you know that the commandment with that is take communion and celebrate my death until I return. Those are the words of scripture. It's a celebration. I heard someone the other day because they started going back to church. And they said, there was actually, it was a little happy at church. I didn't expect that. Because somewhere along in the culture, everyone made church a place where you just come and feel condemned. Where you go in church just to don't feel bad about myself. What? Yeah, if it's not by grace and if Jesus hadn't done, we should all sit here every week. Let's gather to mourn our own sinfulness. We should do that in some ways, but the grace of God comes in. But not in some kind of self-pity, regret, because we have something to celebrate. Culture put it towards us like stoic. When these people come together to rejoice, church is a happy place. Church is a happy people with the joy of the Lord is our strength. Jesus has died. We should be shouting for joy. We should be clapping. We should be loving. We should be caring. We should be crying out Hosanna. Joy, joy, joy. That's what we live for. We live to be happy. And there's nothing we should celebrate more than Jesus. Is a piano playing? It's the angels. And finally, do you know why we sing out Hosanna in the highest? So that's a little remix right there. Hosanna in the highest goes even further. And I loved learning this this week. Hosanna in the highest is not only us crying out Hosanna in Wakefield at 27 Quarter Street. 
You know, we get so caught up in our little world sometimes, we don't realize how cosmic everything is. When we cry out Hosanna in the highest, that's saying Restoration Road rejoice, Genesis and Woburn rejoice, another church rejoice over in Saugus, another church in New Hampshire, plus all the heavenly hosts and the angels. It's saying everyone in the cosmic realm, Jesus is Lord, he's rescued us, it's finished. That's Hosanna in the highest, that's what it means. Everyone gather, because we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. When our voices go up, they get joined with the angels and joined with the heavenly hosts and joined with all the saints around the world who are worshiping God because he is worthy today. That's Hosanna in the highest. It's a celebration. When we bring meaning, we understand what these words mean. They add to the flavor. They add to the gospel. They cause us to revel in our king. So I encourage you today, and I covered you every day of your life, celebrate because Jesus has been victorious for you. Live out the gospel. Let's sing with everything we got today. Can we do that on Palm Sunday? No pressure. Can we rejoice in our king because he's worthy of it? Let's do that today. When we take communion, remember the body and the blood of Jesus who was broken for you. Remember the king of peace came and died so we can live victorious and rose again. When we give, let us give cheerfully because God has been so generous to us. Everything we do today, let's do celebrating Jesus. Let's pray.